Good morning, everyone. It is Dave Meltzer on my 25th anniversary here at Office Hours. I imagine we'll have our 25th anniversary, 25 years. We're way past 25 episodes, but I got the great Mike Diamond with me, a dose of Diamond every Wednesday with me. Diamond Life Fuel got me rock and rolling every morning. Uh, and we have our special guest today. And I am not sure, once again, my, my notes have it on, but Alan, uh, welcome to Office Hours. Thanks. Uh, happy anniversary. Yeah, thank you. So we're always very patient on the show, right, Mike? Oh, yeah. We, we, we are the best patients, so don't worry about us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, I'm going to let you introduce Alan today. We'll go a, a, a little different, if that's okay. Do you have that? Yeah, of there? course. Absolutely. He's the, so you're the co-founder of Exploding Kitties, which is something pretty crazy right now. Exploding, Exploding kittens. kittens. Yeah. Kittens, right? Yeah. Kittens. Right. And, then on, and then on top of that, you, you worked for Microsoft and you've had like this diverse entrepreneurial career. And then, which I think is so incredible, you had a startup and you wanted to raise $10,000, so modest of you, and you raised $8.7 million. Like we've got to get into this. Like what a journey! What it's been an a roller coaster. Yeah. Exactly. Welcome to Office Hours Wednesday. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The um that story the uh the the eight point seven million story was um decided to uh, take a step away from video games. I've been doing I've been working at the Xbox for a long time, building video games, and um. You know, you get that feeling every once in a while where it's like, I, I might be part of the problem instead of part of the solution. <laughs> and uh, I just thought, I don't want to put screens in front of kids anymore. I think it's time for a change. And so uh, teamed up with some buddies, uh, notably my friend Matt Inman, who is the creator of The Oatmeal, one of the world's most famous online comics. And uh, we built this game, this little card game, like physical face-to-face -face card game. Like, let's, let's try this thing instead of uh, video games. Put it up on Kickstarter, tried to raise $10,000 and raised eight point, almost $9 million when it was all done um, in 30 days. And that started our company in the most spectacular way. And we were able to leverage that. Now, Exploding Kidding Kittens is in the alternative reality space. Um, was there any connectivity between the two ventures? So uh, Exploding Kittens is literally just a physical card game. It's, oh, it um, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so there's about a hundred people working at the company now. Uh, we've been around for just over six years, and uh, we've got about fifteen games out there. Three of them are the top three selling games in the world. We sell about a game every six seconds, and uh, yeah, it's been um, a, a career shift. Like I am, I am trained in video games. I'm used to producing, as you said, alternate reality. I'm used to producing virtual reality. I'm used to making games for the Xbox. And now I print cardboard, and it is uh, quite a quite a change. And obviously, speaking of exploding, yeah, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, be good, Mike. Yeah, okay. So yeah, um, yeah. we'll get this down. This is only our like six hundredth one of these. So um, <laughs> it's interesting. Obviously, the um, the pandemic helped uh, explode exploding kittens with people playing more board games and that whole genre of games uh, taking off. But I'm more interested in something that a lot of entrepreneurs don't think about and it's skills and knowledge um, and how it's applicable to all different verticals. You know, I can take a successful entrepreneur 
uh, and move them to an entirely different industry, uh, knowing that their skills and knowledge are aligned uh, with what's necessary to be successful because a great entrepreneur in one industry has the desire, the desire determines your potential, your skills and knowledge determine your basement. And if the skills and knowledge are aligned with the industry career or job, uh, invariably, mathematically, they're, they're successful. And people ask me all the time because I've moved in the same way that you have from the internet into Samsung's you know, phone division president to sports uh, as the CEO of the most notable sports agency. And like, what is, you know, the internet or, or cell phones have to do with the sport industry? But Lee Steinberg, who's a visionary and a genius, saw the skills that I had, knew my education, knew my experience, saw sports moving into technology. You know, for you, it's almost the the anti-technical move. Mine was the technical move into sports uh, <laughs> as I moved. Uh, what were the skills and knowledge uh, that you had that were applicable to the cardboard? Uh, that you used to use in the Xbox era? Yeah. Um, that's something I haven't really ever thought about. Like, I'm not sure I could quantify it in in any sort of, like, let's write this down into formula. But um, I really like problem solving. Like, my, my whole life, it's it's all been about, like, um, I started out in, in college, I started out with a major in physics and um, I was really obsessed with physics and then switched to computer science. And the reason was because um, in physics, at least at the level I was at, which was a very low level, uh, every answer, every question had the answer in the back of the book. And I got really tired of that. I switched to computer science because there there were no answers in the back of the book. Everything we were working on was like, okay, start from scratch, like literally resolve this thing over and over and over again. And that's really appealing to me. And I think when I think about all the businesses that I've done, I'm sure this applies to you as well as you think of, of, of your transitions. It's really fun to not have an answer. It's really appealing to think like, if I solve this, I will be the first one on the planet to solve this problem. So I'm really motivated right now. And that, that, drives me like I, I get very excited about new uh, ventures that offer that opportunity. Do, do you, you nailed so many great things then. Do you think, see a lot of entrepreneurs look at Dave and go, I want to be Dave Mills or I'll post some videos, I'll do this. And Dave's had a long career. Like I have had a long career opening up businesses, shooting TV shows, doing interventions, writing books. You had a foundation, which was Xbox, right? And you did that. But then you made that pivot, which was, I don't want to do this anymore in, in, in videos, right? Do you think that's the mistake a lot of young entrepreneurs make? They don't realize you've got to do a lot of work and you've got to do a lot of things over and over again. And then you start to find these little niches and nuances. Do you think yeah. that's where a lot of entrepreneurs go? So. I think that's right. I think, um, you know, there's that mantra, like fail fast, fail often. Um, I, I would take that even a, a step further, which is to say every success failure is a prerequisite. Like you have to assume you're going to, there's no such thing as succeeding without a whole lot of failures along the way. And I think really the important thing to take away from all of this is if you accept for a moment that you're going to have those failures along the way, stop being scared of them. Stop letting them be the impediment to, to moving forward. Stop making it so that um, you're paralyzed with fear. Uh, stop making it so that when you hit a failure, you think, well, this didn't work. 
every success is a path of failures leading up to that success. And if you just accept that and embrace that uh, and think the only bad thing I can do here is to linger in those failures and not move on from them as quickly as possible, fail as fast as I can so that I can eventually move down that path, that string of failures and arrive at the success. Like that's been really the guiding light for me. And um, so often when I talk to entrepreneurs and we talk about, here's here's the roadblocks, here's this thing I'm hitting, here's this thing I can't solve. The answer is, well, of course, yeah, of course. That's the path of failures and it'll eventually lead to a success and just stop lingering here. Stop, stop, stop assuming you have arrived at this point of failure. Uh, this is a thing you move right through uh, so that you can get on to the next thing. And I think to that point, Alon, one of the other thing that uh, confuses entrepreneurs is success and the anomaly of success. And what I mean by that is um, there are no overnight successes, even though there appears to be overnight successes. Our lives are a message. They're our internal message. They're the messages or lessons that we've learned uh, our lives and our lives are messages to other people as well, uh, hopefully with the legacy that we build or where we leave. But I find, you know, with so many entrepreneurs, they'll say, oh, how'd you make a million dollars right out of law school? Right, I was 24 years old. Well, um, my skills and knowledge that I acquired uh, were sales skills and, and knowledge of uh, emotional intelligence of how to create an emotional attachment and working with a company that was extremely credible, the, the leader, the monopoly in the legal research space in the book realm, it was a perfect triad that allowed me to take, you know, I've been selling since I was five, hustling since I was five. So 19 years later, all of the sales skills, the knowledge that I had uh, within the context, I went to law school, college, you know, very serious student for seven years. You know, while my friends were, you know, at the bars and all the other things, I trickled in a little bit of partying. Um, but it's so interesting that we have this an anomaly. How many years, you know, just so we can give, I think, the most valuable information to entrepreneurs that think that there's anyone out there that just literally starts a company and sold it for a billion dollars. <laughs> and, and they do think that, you know, I'm just curious how, how many years, you know, that you feel that you were developing. Uh, you know, your skills and knowledge to have the success, even of the, just the Kickstarter campaign, which I consider to be a great success mm -hmm. up to just the Kickstarter campaign. How many years were you putting in? Um, I mean, that, that path started for me when I was just a kid, right? Like in order for that, you say the Kickstarter was a success. All anybody ever focuses on is the 30 days of that Kickstarter um, because it's really easy to see, hey, we started at zero, we ended at 9 million, 30 days, huge success. We were just born that way. Yeah. Absolute garbage, right? Nobody, that, that's, that's a ridiculous notion. That Kickstarter campaign was a success for two big reasons. One is because my partner, Matt, had spent 15 years building up an audience that we could invite to that Kickstarter campaign. And two, it's because I had spent 15 years figuring out how to entertain a crowd once they showed up and how to get them to tell their friends. It was rolled out over the course of 30 days, but it was 15 years in the making for those 30 days to be successful. Yeah, thank yeah, you. I would say average is 17 and a half years, right, Mike? I was, gonna say 20, I was gonna say 20 years because people don't realize the work you put in it's like i was watching dave Chappelle talk about he went to acting school to be a comedian he didn't want to go to acting school 
And then once you got out of acting school, they're like, oh, now the training makes sense. Yeah. So it's, you know what I'm saying? So now, right, you, what's the next venture for you? Because you're always looking for the next niche. I can see always. that. Always. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you the next thing. So we've been um, very successful in the game space. I think there's there's two big things I'm excited about now. Uh, one is um, building games is only partially physically constructing the games, coming up with a good game idea, putting some art against it. That's that's a, a small part. The other part is figuring out how to sell that thing. And that means manufacturing and distribution and figuring out supply chain and renting the boats to ship stuff over from China and then working the retail relationships, making sure they have premium shelf space, um, negotiating those deals with Target and Walmart to make sure that our games are centered in the right place and that they're next to the games. There's all this stuff. Uh, that's why we have 100 people doing this very, very difficult job every day. Um, so one thing that I'm really excited about, now that we've built all of that and we have all those resources internally, I'm excited about opening that up and making it much easier for new game designers and new entrepreneurs to take advantage of this engine that we've built. Um, we, I can only put so many games through it and there's still a whole lot of bandwidth there. So uh, we've started working with uh, new up and coming designers and um, game game developers uh, so that they don't have to work quite so hard. They don't have to step on all the landmines that I've already stepped on. They can just take advantage of this really beautiful thing uh, that'll let them birth games into the world. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And then the other one that we're starting to experiment now is, um, I'm a I'm a new dad. I got two very young kids at home, and um, I hate playing games with my four-year-old. I hate it. It's so. If I have to play Candyland again, I'm going to gouge my eyes out. Like it is the worst, worst experience. Um, so the new thing for me is I'm excited to make games. Uh, that my daughter wants to play and that I want to play as well. You know, you like before Pixar came out, kids' movies sucked, right? Adults never wanted to go see a kids' movie. It was the worst experience ever. And then Pixar said, it doesn't have to be that way. What if we made a kids' movie that kids loved and adults wanted to see as well? I think we can do that for games. So that's the next really, really big experiment for us. And it's a great backbone to family participation, which is missing as well today. Um, yeah. You are shifting that paradigm. Alon Lee, you're going to have to come back to different shows of mine. Come on to this show. Uh, thank you for your patience on my 25th anniversary. <laughs> Happy anniversary. I'm so excited. A, li a little bit as Mike and I have fun. Um, but I know there's a lot more to explore with you, your entrepreneurial journey and your company, explodingkittens.com, an unlimited future with an infinite amount of possibilities. I'm glad he took physics years ago. I think that helped also figure out <laughs> how to get excited about his journey and his messages. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Please come back. We got other shows for you as well. It's my pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. Congrats on the babes. All righty. I'm rocking and rolling. I'm going to get a little bit more light here, Mikey, as my left arm goes up. Uh, but I'm all set now. I can uh, introduce Tyler Williams into the, the mix here. And, uh, you know, this is one of my, my... There we go. Watch this. Light. Tony Shea would be amazed. Uh, anyway. <laughs> nice trick. Yeah. Tyler is the director of brand experience at Zappos, zappos.com. Um, and also works with the Tony Shea Award, uh, which one of my friends uh, was uh, the recipient of our great Ashish, the CEO of Junior Achievement. 
worldwide, uh, which is uh, where I'm the chief chancellor there, uh, nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. And uh, I wanted to bring you on, not only to congratulate you for the great success of a great brand, but more importantly, to talk about uh, the Tony Shea Award and uh, what's going on uh, with it. I know we have coming up in September, the deadline of nominations for next year. And uh, these are great uh, individuals that you aim to encourage and to recognize uh, with progressive ideas or infinite ideas. I, I want to uh, nominate Alon, I think. He's pretty incredible. But welcome to the show, Tyler. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's great. To, and it's your 25th anniversary I was listening in. There we go. It's 25th anniversary. And two days from now is my wife's birthday. We won't say how many years, but... Yeah, people ask me if I got, I, I was blessed to be successful before I got married and my wife uh, and I grew up and she used to get pissed when people were like, well, do you have a, a prenup, you know? And I'd said, you wouldn't believe what my prenup says. It says that we have to celebrate the anniversary and her birthday separate in two separate gifts. So it had nothing to do with what everybody else uh, thought it had to do with. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I've been married 17 years, so. <laughs> Ah, see, you're just finally getting there. You, she, she probably finally likes you now. This is good. <laughs> yeah, it's getting better with time. I can tell you that. Uh, we're figuring it out. Yeah, you know, it does relationships are complicated. Yeah, no. Uh, but thanks for time. thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, you having me on and and sharing the legacy of Tony, our dear friend. You know, um, Keith Ferrazzi and the and and his his group started the award. Uh, I think Tony's friends and community, family, coworkers, fans were kind of looking at what is a way to celebrate this incredible human's life. And this is one of the first things that formed. And uh, there's many other things forming around, you know, Tony's legacy and, and how that looks moving forward. Um, but the Tony Shea Award, we're just really wanting really cool uh, companies. Elon's company would be awesome. Funny connection, Matt, the, uh, his, uh, co-founder um was also we we sponsored a race apple sponsored a race called beat the blurch and so uh we spent some time with matt in las vegas with tony and uh you know that was really interesting to see them interact you just get two brilliant minds together and just sit back and watch the uh the ideas and the and the you know just things explode from those interactions with really talented people. And that's really what the Tony Shea award is about is creating this community of, of different businesses, entrepreneurs, and people that are embody the spirit of Tony's ideas. You know, he was really passionate about um, operating on the fringe of organizational science, flat management systems, strong company cultures, defining core values, you know, at the head of, of, of everything. And, I'm, I'm going on 11 years at Zappos and was able to spend six of those really close uh, with Tony and be mentored by him. And we're just wanting to continue that legacy and uh, at the same time recognize um, people that are embodying a lot of the same ideas and championing those those things on the what we like to call the fringe of human capital and, you know, or you kind of think of them as modern day corporate outlaws in a way. If there's a way of thinking, a way that we've always done things, there's just these brilliant minds that look at that construct and say, well, just because it's the way we've always doesn't done, we've done it doesn't make it right. Um, there might be a different way to organize people around work. Brilliant. So 
Johnny, you traveled first as a musician, correct? And then you made the pivot and, and yeah. then you started working with Zappos. So talk about that. Cause a lot of people, what, the great thing about this show is every entrepreneur has multiple lives they live. And that's yeah. what people don't get. You've got to go and live multiple things and it all comes into like one big bowl. So what, what, what made the pivot? You're on the road, you're traveling in a band, obviously being successful if you're touring and then you discover Zappos. Yeah, uh, going back to being married, you know, uh, being a touring musician, um, if you're not in a massive band and, and can afford an extra bus and, you know, fly your wife to every gig, um, eight months on the road, uh, it's just difficult to maintain that, that strong relationship. And so I toured with the rock band for two years, eight months out of the year, coast to coast in the U.S., uh, twice a year, and it's just burned out. And um, we were living in Las Vegas at the time, which is where I currently am. And I just started thinking about maybe just taking up a local, doing local gigs in Las Vegas and was in a lot of interviews, uh, actually was interviewing to be in the Blue Man group as their house, their house drummer. Uh, I wouldn't have been a Blue Man. I would have just been in the back band. But um, that I was on the final interview and my wife, she was, she had like four jobs at the time in Las Vegas. And one of them was to pass out monster energy drink and she would stop at this quirky company in Henderson uh, in Las Vegas and drop off monsters. And she, she took a tour and she came home and said, have you ever just thought about, you know, getting out of being a full-time musician? And, and so I just jumped on, I think as anybody would jumped on YouTube and Google and what is Zappos and, up popped this, you know, quirky CEO that wasn't saying that they sold shoes, but was talking about core values. And those core values were interesting to me and aligned with me personally, you know, like be humble, deliver wow through service, embrace and drive change, you know, create fun and a little weirdness. I'd never heard that. And, you know, these videos, I just kept watching them and I drank the Kool-Aid. I thought, wow, this is a really amazing company that's valuing people over profit. Um, and so I, I barely made it through high school. I didn't go to college. And at the time, it was said that it was harder to get into Har sorry, it was harder to get into Zappos than to Harvard. And so I just didn't really know how to get get into the company. So my wife's like, well, you've got a lot of skills, you know, as a musician, just use them to stand out in the interview process. So I made a music video, sang a song about the company's 10 core values and asked them to hire me. Uh, we did, we shot it on a green screen and there was like six of me playing different instruments and it, it made its way to Tony right away. You know, it came into the, the hiring funnel and they were like, check this guy out. And I got called and uh, they, they, they got me in. They said, well, we don't really have a position would you be willing to answer phones? And I was like, yeah, I'll do, I'll do anything to, to start. And so I started in the call center answering phone calls. And then uh, within three years, you know, developed a relationship pretty quickly with Tony. And uh, he's like, well, just write a job description, name it what you want. And, you know, and I, I, I we coined the title Fungineer. And so I planned all the company parties and events because being a musician, I brought that skill set of production, lights, audio, video, and just started being the engineer of fun. So pretty much had the best job in the world. Uh, I, you know, and, and that career just blossomed into where I'm at today. So feel very lucky to have had that Amazing. experience. 
But I just yeah. going back to that, I just encourage people to bring their skill sets to the table. And as a musician, you pick up a lot along the way. So good. Yeah, and ZZ Top still misses you. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, la- last question, uh, real quick. Um, your expertise is in two areas that I think create, uh, believe it or not, the most revenue. And I think a lot of executives who went to Harvard and couldn't get into Zappos, uh, <clears throat> second choice, and went to Harvard instead, uh, they miss out on. Um, and it's number one, happiness. As you know, I'm on a mission to empower over a billion people to be happy, uh, which leads to number two, engagement. Um, And the math of productivity, the math of accessibility and gratitude, but the math of revenue is the more engaged and the happier your employees are, the more revenue you will generate. There's no doubt about it. And on average, both are at an all-time low. Uh, The happiness this quotient or quantified values are, you know, people are not happy. And two, uh, the engagement levels are at an all time low, which is even worse because even an uh, an unhappy employee that's engaged will do something. Uh, I always use the analogy that if Tom Brady, as he is in the, in the preseason is not engaged, what good is he? And he's the greatest of all time. And, uh, you know, obviously he's not engaged right now with, uh, his team, we got crushed last night, and if he doesn't get engaged, they'll continue to get crushed. But if he is unhappy and engaged, they'll win probably you know nine or ten games. But if he's happy and engaged, as we've seen, he's the greatest of all time. You talked about picking up skills and knowledge. I think those are two skills that you picked up that are your core competency at Zappos and at the Tony Shea Award is making people happy as a fungineer, but also getting that engagement. What are some of the things, tips, or lessons that you've learned that help within an organized structure people, number one, let them be happy, but two, that engagement? Yeah, to your point, David, it's it's more, it's more it's harder than it's ever been. You know, I think the last couple of years have really, you know, you hear these terms, you know, the great resignation, the great refocus, or, you know, quite quitting, I guess, is the, 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 the most recent um, buzz phrase that is, is going around and really just comes down to um, people more than ever are just seeing what's important to them. And if companies aren't really raising the bar on, creating an environment for happiness for their employees. And a lot of companies have toured Zappos and we've done a lot of coaching with companies and they always kind of look at Zappos and go, well, this is perfect. Like this is the blueprint. We're like, no, no, it's, we're an online shoe retailer. You build aerospace parts. It's, it's the culture is building something that is really meaningful and strong within the industry. So if you're in sports, you're going to have a really strong, engaged sports conversations. And the most important thing is to invest in it and make room for it and prioritize it. So many times, um, because one of my favorite Tony quotes is, uh, just because you can't measure the ROI of something doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. What's the ROI of hugging your mom? Right. And so we get so wrapped up in what we can track and what we can do. And, and the science of happiness, at least the way we define it, is perceived control, perceived progress, number and depth of your relationships. So connection, 
and higher purpose. And so really the work I do, it sounds like Fungineer, it's just, it's, it's partying, but no, we, our community work um, is really important. The philanthropy that we get involved with for Zappos, people want to be proud to work at their company too, and proud of the leadership within the, in, in the company, just as much as they see opportunity for themselves and they see growth opportunities and they own their work. Um, and so the, the, the work that I just kind of naturally fell into Zappos is largely due to the environment that Tony created. He created a platform, you know, he's a very much a systems thinker. And so the, 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 the architecture of the company allowed me to flow into that place where I was passionate. I created value and I was good at it just naturally. And uh, that's, that's really where you can try to get your company. And we just, if you're trying and you're doing your very best, uh, that's, that's the number one thing that you can do you as a founder or CEO. And you've carried the spirit of Tony Shea uh, while you were at uh, in with him. Uh, but for the Tony Shea award, especially go to Tony award.com. When's the deadline to apply? Uh, it is in September. Um, I know that we'll be announcing the winner at Masters of Scale Conference. Um, and Keith Ferrazzi is really uh, leading the torch on that in the Greenlight Group. So really appreciate awesome. you having yeah, me. We've had Tony on the on the show as well. And uh, you definitely live up to your brand and your reputation, bringing so much as the world's greatest fungineer. Thank you so much for showing us all how we can dream possibilities to probabilities, probabilities to perspective. Uh, thank you very much. Tyler Williams is the director of brand experience at Zappos.com, one of the greatest companies in America and, of course, Las Vegas. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate and great it. Great job. Great interview. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. So all right. <clears throat> you are flying right around here. It's uh, having a good time, Matt. You going to bring Carol on? Ah, there he goes. Hello. All right. Carol Kaufman is here, the founder of the Institute of Coaching mm-hmm. uh, and has a new upcoming book coming out, Real-Time Leadership, uh, which uh, everybody has different definitions of leaders, but find your winning moves when the stakes are high. Uh, and that'll be coming out hopefully this February. Is that correct, Carol? Yes, it is. All right. My team's on top of it. Um, I want to start... Uh, with the Institute of Coaching, um, and you know, obviously, uh, you are on the faculty of probably our most prestigious educational institution, and uh, I have a definition, and maybe you can help me with it. I think a, a coach is someone that brings the best out of people. Uh, a mentor is someone that uh, sits in a situation that you want to be in and gives you those directions, and then a teacher which there's some great teachers as well at, at Harvard. Um, a teacher is someone that can explain things so that we understand it, highly complex things. Uh, and it, it takes three different skill sets to be a coach, a mentor, or, or a teacher. And some, things, some people possess all three. Um, the Institute of Coaching uh, helps raise leaders, intelligent followers, I, I define it as. Uh, what are some of the key aspects at the Institute that you're looking uh, is it at all three levels or is it just, you know, this motivational type of bringing the best out of emotional intelligence? What are the key focuses of the Institute of Coaching? 
Okay. Uh, first, I would love to tie into your previous guest. Um, okay. That was just a beautiful interview. And, um, He's so cool, isn't he? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and and the universe is funny. He and I look extremely different, um, but underneath the different veneers, um, the spirit of what we're doing is very similar. Because what um, the Institute of Coaching is about is applied coaching, applied social science. So for many years, I was working with Marty Seligman, and I'm at core a positive psychologist. And there's massive science, by the way, connecting, creating a thriving positive environment. And part of the real-time leadership is about how to do that. And um, so that's one thing is at the Institute, we're trying to establish that in the field of coaching, there's sort of real theory and practice. It isn't just kind of woo-woo. So that's one thing. The other is I'd love to talk about a misconception of coaching, which is that it is just sort of the motivational um, or reassuring or encouraging. And I have a somewhat different take on it because I'm actually a leadership advisor and coach. But here's the way I think about it is imagine that, okay, so Mike, I'll make you my client. Um, so coaching is like, like imagine a figure eight, a figure eight, but the figure eight is between us. So the coaching is the pull and the pull and the pull. The teaching or the mentoring is the, is the offer. So in coaching, you can, some just do the pull and you have to be quite masterful to do that. Um, probably many of us do kind of an 80-20 where it's a pull and then an offer. But the key is what you do after you make your offer, which is... Um, so, Mike, would it be something in your life you would be working on if you were in coaching? And you can make it up if there's nothing top of mind. I mean, emotional intelligence. Okay. So I might start out. So we have a very simple coaching model. My first question would be, you know, I won't make you answer it all, but it's like, first of all, why does it matter to you? Then I'd say, and this is, it sounds so simple, but it's actually applied positive psychology and immunity to change and intentional change theory, which is very simply, I'd say, hey, Mike, if you were a 10 out of 10 on emotional intelligence, what would you look like? And then I would pull and pull and pull for that. Along the way, I might have an offer. Say you say something, but you're leaving something out. I say, yeah, Mike, that's right. You know, people also say that if you dot, 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 that can be useful. Okay, so that's my offer. I immediately pivot back with a question. Does that sound right to you? So the combination that I see, um, David, with the coaching, mentoring, teaching, is it's this constant flow of choices that you make to create that kind of environment. I love that. Yeah, I, I actually, unconscious, I've, I've read um, Marty Seligman, that you've worked with him, so it's like a whole other level, and you've been on the board at Harvard, which is incredible. And I love what you say, because I work as an interventionist. And when I first started doing interventions, I've got to do that back and forth naturally and, and really be compassionate and pull as much as I can and then find places where I can plant seeds to get the person to make a more empowering choice, which is mm -hmm. really difficult because you're dealing with someone that's really not in a good positive state at the time because they're either on fentanyl or heroin. Mm -hmm. So with you, which I think is so amazing, and there's so many coaches that just like, they talk in memes, 
like you have extensive like research and things so what made you was it was it frustration like that you were like you know people aren't coaching correctly that you created the institute to really break things down with science and with all your experience what made you you know really start the institute <laughs> the institute actually is the brainchild of my former coach a woman named Ruthann Harnish and the Harnish Foundation and she had an institute before ours um, that, that she had a vision for coaching research would be the core of making coaching sort of a viable profession. And so then what happened is she was my coach um, for a, a year. And then she started funding me with little, little things to create a positive psychology website, et cetera, et cetera. And then... Um, one day she called me and we were talking. I had done something she was happy with and said, um, I want to give you the foundation of coaching. And I'm like, excuse me? She goes, lock, stock and barrel, Carol. And I'm like, uh, you want me to be the head of a global organization? Uh, to which I said, doesn't it matter to you that I have never led anything in my life? To which she said, hmm, have you heard of this thing called leadership coaching, Carol? So that is how it started with um, a $2 million gift. Um, and, you know, I loved coaching. I was bringing science and, and coaching together with the spirit of it. I found that a lot of like Harvardy types, their coaching is like so boring. You could just pass out. Um, <laughs> it, it needs to have like the spirit of it, you know, not just the theory and the research. And so that's what at the Institute we're really trying to do is, yes, ground it in theory and research, but then, you know, bring the joy to, to, the, to the coaching experience. So it's uh, Ruth Ann Harnish's fault that I have the Institute of Coaching, um, <laughs> which is um, with Margaret Moore and Susan David, we're the co-founders. I would have loved to have you as a professor at Harvard Med School, but they won't let me in there either. Uh, they did By the way, I got rejected from Harvard as, as, when I applied. Oh, good. Well, my brothers didn't, and they never let me uh, hear the end of it. Still, I'm 54 <laughs> years old, and I still haven't heard the end of it, and good for them. But uh, Marshall Goldsmith uh, is uh, a relationship all of us have with you know, being in the top uh, 100 coaches in the world with Marshall Goldsmith and a great mentor, coach, and teacher of, of mine. Um, but I'm really interested in the book. Um, I want to finish up with the book. Because I'm a time freak, a scientist of time. I uh, study it every single day uh, because I believe if my life is about these messages, these lessons, then I really need to understand the infinity of time. But also uh, one distinctive thing that I study is the reality of time. Uh, it's you know, fun to study the past and how and what meaning I give my defined moments of inflection points and an infinite amount of time of the past. And of course, the future is easy because there's no limitations but me. But time plays a critical role because it is a man-made construct that binds everyone on Earth together as a collective consciousness, this 1,440 minutes, 24 hours a day. And I think that's where my mastery comes in in productivity providing value to others, accessibility of being accessible, uh, even on my 25th wedding anniversary today, uh, but also accessing what I want, that pull and, and give, and also how does time reconcile into gratitude? And you are now reconciling time into leadership. 
which mm-hmm. is fascinating to me. And you actually, uh, like a great scientist, has created a framework that allows us what I think is so important to master the moment within the real time, uh, to generate options, opportunities, and touches of favor. And I categorize those together. And then quickly evaluate, which I thought was great, energy value, evaluate them before acting. And I think of a great quarterback uh, for me, mm-hmm. my genre, my, my industry. Um, you know, what is that framework that you are able to reconcile time with leadership to master these moments, to have options, opportunities, and touches of favor, and to quickly evaluate mm-hmm. things before actually taking action or creating activity in your life? Well, one thing you don't know is, um, I don't think it's anywhere in my resume, is um, my co-author, David Noble, and I work with super athletes, some who have contracts as large as uh, Brady's or larger. And so we'll go, we'll go with that. So let's say um, I've been working with a, a football star who's, whose job is to catch the ball, right? Talk about in the moment. He has to be mindfully alert. So the model we talked about has an acronym because without an acronym, I can't remember my own work. Um, so it's being mindfully alert to what is going on around you what's going on inside you and what's going on between. So you can imagine you're a running back and all those things have to be in your mind, you know, and who you are in your personal growth is core to your capacity to make the the most of every moment or even second. Then it's, as you said, the, the options generator where you lean and engage, lean back and analyze, lean within support or, or don't lean. So again, it's like, how do you make those choices in seconds? So, you know, if something's thrown at you, now let's imagine it's a hot bowling ball, a challenge, and someone has thrown a hot bowling ball at you and you catch it. What do you do? With one of my clients, um, a leader at a, at a big tech firm, we talked about that. I said, sometimes your job is to hold what's thrown at you, even if it's hot, and metabolize it. Like to sort of do nothing, hold it, have the capacity to hold it. Sometimes you throw it. Sometimes you put it down. It's like, how do you figure in the now how to make the most of something? Is it an opportunity? Is it a threat? How do you do that? And then the V is vantage point. Um, You can look at the vantage point of yourself. You can look at the vantage point of the person throwing the ball at you. You can look at the perspective from the ball. You know, so how do you keep being very agile in what you see and what can get in your way of seeing your personality, um, you know, unconscious bias, and then affect and engage change is how do you communicate it? So that that is the model in a nutshell, because change happens in the now, you know, with your next breath, and how to not allow the past to capture you, but allow it to support you to move forward. And that's really what real time is about. And sometimes the real time is a six month plan. But other times that is made up of all these moments in between. And speaking of time, can we pre-order uh, the book? I know it's not coming out till uh, February, but can we pre-order that book now? You can pre-order the book. Um, and I believe it's on Amazon and Target and a bunch of places. And you can find out a little bit more quite soon on my website. I cannot imagine a better book, at least for me, um, because I've been looking for 
more defining frameworks in order to effectuate the real-time leadership. I, like I said, define leadership as intelligent followers and to be That's an intelligent right. follower, we, we have to utilize time better and uh, to be able to master that moment uh, in all fields. You don't just have to be Tom Brady. You can be uh, anybody, Taylor Williams, Tyler Williams, doesn't matter who you are. Um, what great work. Uh, founder of the Institute of Coaching, the upcoming author with David Noble. I, I oh, no, did, David, did he co-author the book as well? Oh, uh, David Noble uh, really said we should write the book. And he is the first author. So it's David Noble and me, not me and David Noble. <laughs> I, did, I did the same thing. Blaine Bartlett, who's also another Marshall Goldsmith uh, coach. Uh, I did the same thing. Uh, we wrote a book called Compassionate Capitalism. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. because I'm younger and on digital media, everyone thinks it's my book. But uh, I, I always say the same thing. No, no. It was really Blaine's book and then me. And so he's just very humble and gracious to even have put me on the, the cover of that. But I'm sure you uh, had a lot more input than I did on my book uh, with him. Uh, Real-time leadership, finding your winning moves when the stakes are high in the moment. Be a real-time leader. Thank you so much, Carol Kaufman. Please come back and visit us closer to the launch so we can promote the crap out of your book and have more people learn how to be intelligent followers. Thank both of you. It's been delightful. That's awesome. You're amazing. Thank you. I love her humility. All right, Mike, uh, as you know, it's my 25th wedding anniversary. So <laughs> we started early. I want to thank, to thank you always for accommodating uh, me and the, the lifestyle that we have. Um, but before I leave, I'd love to get your takeaway of the day. Well, first of all, congratulations. And you know me, you can call me at any time. I'm pretty much going to show up 99% of the time unless I'm dying. <laughs> Um, you know what I found really interesting, and it's I think even if you were dying, you'd still show up. Just by the way, I'd one leg, and you just wouldn't see the, the bottom half because I'd be on the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> um, what resonated with me, and it resonates with you in our relationship, is 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 you've got to just do the work in the moment, and you know you got to be positive in the moment and be disciplined every day, like you say, prioritize the time, but do the work in the moment because you don't know where it's going to lead to in the future and that's the mistake a lot of young entrepreneurs they, they, they try to connect the dots going forward you don't like job says you connect them going back when you reflect you start oh that's why i went to acting school that's why i did stand-up comedy that's why i did this and i think the biggest thing people need to do right now is they have this comparison syndrome they look at dave Meltzer, they look at mike diamond but they don't realize it's been 30 or 40 years of hard work and struggle to get to where we are now and there's no shortcuts in this. And there's one thing that I want to tell everyone. There's a 24-hour rule. Whether you win or you lose, you only celebrate for 24 hours or you get down for 24 hours and then you move on. That's it. Don't over-celebrate and don't be depressed. Just stay in the 24 hours and go, I'm done, new day, new moment, let's go. Well, that's why I have a sleep coach, right? To have an unwinding routine and read said as well as utilize daily practices in order to aggregate those activities and behavior towards a trajectory of what i think i want in the future but it aligns with my takeaway which is messaging and you know my life is about messages uh and in order to receive those messages those lessons uh you have to have a certain mindset heart set and handset uh, but you also you know literally have to have daily practices and give meaning to those messages uh, and allow others 
to share in the participation of the perception of those messages as well. And so, you know, looking uh, at time uh, is my takeaway that, you know, today <clears throat> you have Alon Lee, who's hyper successful with Exploding Kittens, Tyler Williams, uh, but nobody in Carol Kaufman, you know, we all had our message. I thought one of the the biggest things was just a brief comment that Carol made that is applicable to everyone. You know, obviously I was making fun of myself for not getting into Harvard or Stanford, um, but I would have went over to Stanford over Harvard, <laughs> but both rejected me. Um, but more importantly was just, well, I didn't get into to Harvard either. And I guarantee someone that is hyper intelligent, uh, intuitive and intellectual like Carol was probably disappointed at the least when she got rejected by Harvard, um, which is in the majority of the people, by the way, that apply, uh, just like the majority of the people that apply to Zappos got rejected uh, as we were taught. Um, but without getting rejected for Harvard, she wouldn't be teaching or receiving a $2 million gift or all the things that happened. And I'm sure where she ended up going to school uh, was the right place at the perfect time uh, as she's a real-time leader and has helped her develop the move framework uh, with David as well. And, you know, I, I think it's really important that, you know, you are in a trajectory of what you think you want in the future. And every day, like you said, to, to reassess. And if we can align our productivity, accessibility, and gratitude with uh, a trajectory of what we think we want, take the messages and the lessons, the light and the love during the day, and then utilize them in uh, the right way for tomorrow, we're going to end up with a greater acceleration and a greater aggregate effect. Um, but uh, anyways, I, we could go on forever, but uh, we got a lot to do here at the Beach House for the anniversary, 25 years. I want to give a particular shout out to the best decision of my life, a real time uh, decision to get married to my, to my wife. Uh, it's a best friend, amazing person. You know her, Mike. Um, and I know I outkicked my coverage 10 times past, but uh, may everybody make a decision like I have. May everyone have a, 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 an intimate partner in their life that lays on uh, to others like my wife. And I just want to tell her as I choke up, I love her. Thank you, Mike. That's amazing. Have a beautiful day. You got it, brother. Bye -bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, everyone. It is uh, the anniversary edition, not the anniversary of Office Hours, but my anniversary. Uh, once again, uh, greatest decision of my life. All you need is one intimate partner, one activity that you get paid for that you love, and a great bed, and you will be happy. Uh, it's pretty simple. You spend a third of your life with your family, and that intimate partner uh, will be liaison between you and your family. You spend a third of your life in activity you get paid for. So learn to love that as well. And of course, a third of your life sleeping. So get a sleep coach, study sleep. Uh, and I promise you get the best bed you can find. Uh, it's simple advice, but it's changed my life. If you want anything, free book, guides, exercises, all you got to do, email me, david at email.com. Remember, most importantly, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thank you, everyone.